You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Oh, make me understand it. Help me to take it in. What it meant to thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. Those words were written by Katherine Kelly and eventually put into a song. And when she wrote those words, she was trying to wrap her mind and her heart around the tragedy and the triumph of the cross. Make me understand it. Help me to take it in. Well, this morning we are finishing a three-part series titled, Pictures of the Cross. A couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon on the serpent on the pole in the book of Numbers, how Jesus said that was a picture of his crucifixion as he would be lifted up to provide eternal life for those that believe. Last week, my predecessor, Dr. Gates, preached a marvelous message on the Mount of Sacrifice. He showed us how the call of God for Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac was a picture of Calvary. And now on this Palm Sunday, leading up to Easter next week, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 53. And yet another Old Testament picture of the cross. As the Old Testament writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, anticipated the reality that God would send His only begotten Son to this earth to live the life that we could not live and to die the death that we should have died. So look there with me, Isaiah chapter 53. We'll begin reading in verse 1. When you found your place, I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to Stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Isaiah 53, verse 1. The Bible says, Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely 
He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we are so grateful that on this day, this Palm Sunday, we gather yet again to worship King Jesus. We gather to fix our eyes upon Christ, the one who suffered and died in our place. And as we discuss this Old Testament picture of the cross, God, I pray that you would help us to further grasp the tragedy of the cross and help us to celebrate the triumph of the cross. We'll thank you and praise you for that grace. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The book of Isaiah is named after the prophet who spoke these words on behalf of God to the Jewish people, specifically the nation of Judah and its kings. And throughout this prophetic book, we see God's message cycling between messages of 
judgment and messages of hope. God wanted his people to know because you've rebelled against me, judgment is coming, devastation is coming. But in the midst of those those mentions of judgment, God gives us these bright, shining lights of hope. Isaiah 53 is one of those passages where God prophesies that one day he would send someone who would bear the iniquities of sinners, thus providing for them salvation, forgiveness, and righteousness. This book was written about 700 years before Jesus Christ walked upon the earth. And yet I'm calling this passage a picture of the cross. Now why would I say that? Why would I say that this ancient passage pictures Jesus' death on Calvary? Well, several reasons. First of all, the language used. Notice there in verse 5, the Bible says, He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. That word pierced reminds us of the nails that were placed in Christ's hands and the nails that were placed in his feet that held him to the cross as he hung on that cross from nine in the morning to three in the afternoon he was pierced for our transgressions psalm 22 16 makes this even clearer when prophetically the lord says that his hands and his feet would be pierced So the language here speaks of the cross. Even though this passage was was written 700 years before Jesus walked on the face of the earth, as we read it, it is as if we are standing at the foot of the cross, watching Jesus bearing our sin and shame. But also, I believe this passage is a picture of the cross, not only because of the language used, but because of some of the, the detail. As if to silence any objection to the reality that this passage speaks of the cross, Isaiah adds an interesting detail to support that view. And it's found there in verse 9. When it says, They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Over in Matthew chapter 27, verse 57, the Bible says, After Jesus Christ died on the cross, a rich man, one of the Sanhedrin named Joseph of Arimathea, took Jesus down and put him in his own tomb, a tomb that was new. And Jesus was with a rich man in his death. And 700 years before that event happened, Isaiah prophesies that this would be the case. This is a picture of the cross. But there's a final compelling reason I believe that Isaiah 53 is a picture of the cross. Not only the language used and some of the details in this passage, but I believe it's a picture of the cross because of the way the New Testament writers refer to this chapter. Did you know that Isaiah 53 is referred to seven times in the New Testament? And the New Testament writers believed 
that Isaiah 53 was about Jesus. This is very clear in one passage, 1 Peter 2.24, when Peter, writing of Jesus, says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And then he quotes Isaiah 53 when he says, By his wounds you have been healed. Quoting Isaiah 53, 5. And so the New Testament writers believe that Isaiah 53 was about Jesus. It was about the cross. So as we look at this final picture of the cross leading up to Easter next week, I want to just give you five words from the text that describe the cross. Five words that describe the cross. The first word is the word sorrow. Sorrow. Notice what the Bible says there in verse 3, describing Jesus and his time on this earth as he left the splendor and glory of heaven, took on humanity and the womb of the Virgin Mary, and lived on this earth, teaching, healing, transforming, and eventually suffering. It says he was despised and rejected by men. God himself came to live among us, to to, to pitch his tent among us. And the Bible says that He was rejected by men. He was despised by men. He was hated by men. And then it uses this phrase to describe Jesus. A man of sorrows. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. That phrase is a reminder That Jesus came to this earth and suffered greatly. In fact, if you look there in your notes. He left the splendor and glory and unceasing worship of heaven. To come to earth to be mocked, maligned, and mistreated. I want to remind you, and Isaiah wants to remind you, that Jesus was without Sin. He says there in verse 9 that Jesus had done no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth. Jesus was not dying on the cross, pierced, hanging on Calvary because he did something wrong or because he deserved it. Isaiah wants us to understand that Jesus was completely innocent, pure, undefiled, a spotless lamb. And yet he's mocked. He's maligned. He's mistreated. He's rejected. The beard was pulled from his face. A crown of thorns was in a mocking way thrust upon his brow. His back was laid open with a cat of nine tails. He was nailed to a cruel Roman cross, a man of sorrows. So you and I cannot think about the cross without thinking about the rejection of Christ. A man of sorrows rejected 
by most during his time upon this earth. The second word that describes the cross is the word suffering. The physical suffering that he endured. Look what it says there in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus endured great physical suffering for us. In fact, back up to the end of chapter 52 when it describes Jesus at the hands of his cruel captors. It says, many were astonished at you in verse 14. His appearance, the appearance of Jesus, so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. In other words, Jesus Christ was beaten so badly. He suffered to such a degree physically that he was unrecognizable. Physical suffering. In our Bible study this morning, we talked about the physical anguish of crucifixion. Crucifixion was... The cruelest way that the Romans could conceive of to execute someone. It was meant to kill someone, but also to heap shame and scorn upon them. It was meant to make them suffer. A person usually died by suffocation on a cross. As their hands were nailed to a wooden crossbeam, their feet were nailed to a wooden pole... The weight of their body would, would collapse and they were unable to breathe. So every time someone who was hanging on a cross wanted to breathe, they had to pull up on those nails and push up on that nail just to take a breath. And it would happen over and over again until the person was so physically weakened they could not pull up on the nail anymore. They usually died by suffocation. And here we see Jesus, the perfect one. The one who did nothing but good during his time upon this earth. The one who showed us what the Father is like. The one who displayed the love and mercy and compassion of God. Pierced for our transgressions. Pulling up on the nails. But notice here that it says in verse 4, he was smitten by God. Smitten by God. What does that mean? It means that while Jesus was physically suffering upon the cross... Spiritually, he was taking your sin and shame and guilt and my sin and shame and guilt upon himself. The Bible says he became sin for us. And on the cross, the Father, the righteous one, the holy one, was pouring out his wrath that our sin deserves. The wrath of God. 
that I deserve poured out upon His perfect Son who is taking my wrath for me. And in those moments, Jesus experienced a sense of forsakenness as He became sin. And in some way that we can't fully articulate in the the Godhead, the Father turns His face away from the Son who took all of our sin. Even to the point that Jesus cries out, using the words of Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's what I want you to understand. Jesus suffered unimaginable physical and spiritual anguish on the cross. Unimaginable. We can't even begin to fathom What Jesus encountered on the cross. In fact, one of my favorite things about Palm Sunday is I remember that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem, as it says in Luke 9, with his face set like flint. He knew he would suffer. He knew he was going to die. He knew he would be crucified. But he went into Jerusalem anyway. The first word that describes the cross is sorrow. The second word is the word suffering. The third word is the word substitution. There in verse 4, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the the punishment, the discipline that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Did you notice the repetition here? Did you notice the words our, our, we, our, 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 we, 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 us? Jesus is dying. But he's dying on behalf of others. He's dying on behalf of you and me. Like the old hymn says, Bearing shame and scoffing rude, In my place condemned he stood. On the cross, he was taking our place, Taking our sin, Taking our punishment. Substitution. Like the way John Oswald says it, God's power is at its greatest, not in his destruction of the wicked, but in his taking all the wickedness of the earth into himself and giving back love. That's what the cross is about. He took all of the the iniquity of the world on himself And he offers to you and to me love. The cross was a place of substitutionary atonement. Jesus took our place so that he could pay the penalty that you and I deserve to pay. The cross is the supreme demonstration 
of God's love for you. Paul wrote that in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. That God demonstrates, God proves his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died, listen, for us. For us. Dear friend, do not question whether or not you are loved by God. The cross settles it. The cross declares, yes, God loves you so much that he gave his son to suffer and die in your place. The fourth word is the word silence. Notice what it says there in verse 7. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Isaiah here is prophesying those moments where Jesus was on trial. And the leaders would say, do you have anything to say? Make a defense for yourself. Jesus remained silent. Why did Jesus remain silent? Remember, Jesus is God wrapped in human flesh. And God knows everything. God is breathtaking wisdom. And had Jesus wanted to argue his case, had Jesus put forth a defense, he could have gotten out of it. But he wasn't trying to get out of it. Like a lamb before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. When he was being condemned in an unjust manner, he could have stood for his rights and said, no, this is not right. But because of his love for you and his love for me, he stayed silent, submitted to the cross. Ray Ortland Jr. writes this, The death of Jesus was a miscarriage of human justice, but it was also our Lord's clear-headed choice. He wasn't caught in a web of events beyond his own control. He willingly laid down his life. He opened not his mouth. Which leads to the fifth word. We've talked about Sorrow and suffering and substitution and silence. But the fifth word that comes from this text is the word salvation. What the cross has made available for you and for me. Notice what it says there in verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Even though Jesus was suffering physical and spiritual anguish on the cross, he was able, the Bible says, to see past that moment of suffering. He was able to see what his suffering would bring about. I love Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Where the Bible says we are encompassed about by such a great cloud of witnesses. Therefore let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. 
and let us run with endurance the race that is before us. Listen, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, listen, the joy set before him endured the cross. That means that he knew during his crucifixion, he knew that because of his death, you and I would be able to receive life. And there was joy, joy, as he looked beyond the cross to those who would give their lives to him and be redeemed by his precious blood. I believe he was able in those moments to look beyond the cross and see that moment when a nine-year-old boy in Perry, Florida would see his own sin and see his need for a Savior and call on the name of Jesus and be forgiven. And he looked beyond the cross and he saw that moment when you would give your life to Christ. And even in the midst of the sorrow, there was joy over what his death would make available. Jesus saw beyond the suffering to the salvation that he was providing. And so he embraced the cross. He embraced the cross. In obedience to the Father, because of his love for you, And his love for me, he embraced the cross. He embraced the suffering. He embraced the shame so that he might bring us eternal life. And abundant life. Isaiah 53 is a picture of the cross. Oh, make me understand it. Help me to take it in. What it meant to thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.